Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series, where we ask people from all walks of life to talk about their perception of the future and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. Mostly, it is presented as scary and a loss of opportunities. The Humanised Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Let's see what today's guest thinks. Today, our guest is Paul Bridgeford. Uh, Paul is a very interesting gentleman. He was trained initially as a metallurgist and worked in the steel industry. And he moved from Wales to Australia and did some working in the sort of manufacturing area. But then at the age of about 30, he started his own business and in the field of kitchen renovations. He became a very skilled marketer and he's got some really interesting things to teach us. So let's listen to what Paul has to say to us today. We've got with us today, Craig Saffin. How are you, Craig? Hi, Steve. Nice to see you again. And we've also got our special guest today, Paul Bridgeford. How are you, Paul? Yeah, pretty good. Paul, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is, what you do? Okay, well, I I won't go into super early life, but uh, I came to Australia in 1971. And uh, prior to that, I I lived in, I was born and bred in the UK, in uh, Cardiff in Wales. I obtained a degree in metallurgy there and then uh, a couple of years working in the steel industry and then went to Warwick University for their MBA or Master of Science in Business 12-month degree and then came out to Australia. I suppose guide me in what you want to know about the future of work, but just very briefly about my history. I was brought out by a company called ACI and my only claim to fame there is that I, I worked with their closures division in marketing and was responsible for developing and marketing the screw top, bottle top on wine called Stelvin mm. in those days. Right. And that was, that was great fun, uh, setting up trials and things like that. Then a couple of years, I moved on to another company which was involved in uh, different sort of products. And then I guess I started off my first business at the age of 30. And that was involved with kitchen renovations. That was really pretty interesting in that I'd obviously studied marketing, but I then had to do quite a lot of face-to-face selling and learned about the sales side of marketing, which was, uh, well, it wasn't challenging, but it was, it was very interesting and it kind of reinforced the importance of the practical side of marketing, I guess. That occurred and I, basically I haven't been back. I've always been my own, my own boss since then, I guess. Uh, that's, what, that, that's, that's, I suppose, the best way to describe it. I expanded that business into imported sinks and tapware and other products of that kind, that uh, kitchen area, and joined with uh, two, three other guys. And we ended up with national distribution. So I moved out of kitchens into, um, into the, the distribution of these additional kitchen products. That business was sold. And I then bought into another business which was involved with high-end kitchen appliances, brands like Gagano and Neff and various others. Built that up from a very low base of about $5 million 
up to around about 50 or 60 million when we were sold to another company in Melbourne and that business is still going. Uh, I then retired for a little bit and was approached by another high-end luxury kitchen manufacturing business in America, Sub-Zero, and started off another business with them, distributing it and sold that to the Americans. Oh, heavens, that was about three or four years ago, I suppose. All right. So you're a serial entrepreneur then in that case, so starting businesses and uh, building them up and stuff. So it's a, so where is your passion then? Because you've got sales and marketing and you've been involved in the glass industry, but you've also been involved in kitchens and bathroom renovations. A lot of, where do you get most excited? Look, I think I get excited by new things. I mean, in my kind of semi-retirement, I'm, I'm involved in developing, uh, and in fact, in the uh, Sanford days, uh, we developed, for example, a whole range of gas log heaters, which were, which were in fact very popular in, uh, in Australia, particularly in the, in the uh, southern states, more southern states. And at the moment, I get I'm working on a, a project in the kitchen area, barbecue area, which I was working with Swinburne University. And the first time in my life, I actually ended up with a, uh, a couple of small government grants to, uh, to help fund that. So I think my passion is um, innovation and also the development. And I guess that's what it's really all about, the development of markets and the development of new products. Right. So what do you think is hot in Australia at the moment as far as innovation? Because a lot of people talk about innovation and some people are disparaging about it. A lot of people are positive. But I think there's a lot of exciting stuff in the innovation space going on in Australia. What's your perspective? I think there, there's a huge amount happening. I think in the, um, in the broader context, there's so much more innovation happening in Australia now than there was when I first came to the country 50-odd years ago, where basically the exciting thing in Australia was actually picking up a product from overseas and that overseas was always going to be better than, than what we could develop in this country. But if you look at companies like Atlassian, for example, a worldwide company, I also happen to be a shareholder in a very early shareholder in Afterpay. And, you know, in these broader IT areas, I just think Australia has been extremely innovative. And in fact, I think we always have been innovative, but I guess we have in the past always lacked the capital to be able to develop and involve these innovations. Whereas now the capital markets in Australia seem to be much more open to backing innovations, basically, and people who have got a, got a really good idea. Mm, why is that? What, what has brought about that change, other than the availability, I suppose, of capital? But what, why, is the, why are the financial institutions and the VCs changing their perspective on that? I think it's probably, in some sense, in the last, say, five, ten years, is that you know, the, the stolid sort of bank interest rates basically haven't been there. So people are, are basically looking for a greater return on their capital and are prepared to take a greater risk. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So the market's driven at uh, where people are looking for a little bit more, uh, willing to take a bit more risk because they're losing money with the cash in the bank, basically. Yeah. But, you know, getting getting back to the, um, the premise of your whole interview, you know, what should young people be looking for? I mean, I think really... Uh, they are in an era in Australia where there is a much greater degree of openness and support for innovation. And if you look at the whole data around climate change at the moment, you know, this is where I think many of our politicians are severely lagging. The opportunities for Australia, for example, in climate innovation are absolutely enormous because 
we have phenomenal resources. What we need is is people to kind of grasp the the initiative and develop it. And you know, we talked about Atlassian. Well, you know, um, Canon Brooks, for example, is already demonstrating great initiative in looking at green power. And so the other, if you oh, the West Australian, if if, if you look at um, the innovations that are coming out of there as well, you know, that they're actually getting hold, <laughs> taking the metal and, and, and working with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it seems to be a lot of young people that are leading that. I, I was listening to an interview yesterday with Annika Molesworth, who's leading the, some of the farmer push to move towards a zero carbon as well. So it's not coming yep. from our politicians, that's for sure, or the older people, are they, is it? Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're quite right. It, it's definitely coming from... Well, I suppose the, yeah, the younger, I mean, everybody's younger than me. Hang on, I'll just put up the window of my car because there's somebody mowing near me. Okay. We can't, hear, we can't hear it so much, yeah. You can't hear that. There we go. Righto. Yeah. Um, but, yes, it, it is coming from the, as I call it, the younger generation within Australia. And, and I mean, the politicians, well, I just think we're in pretty much a stagnating state in Australia as far as yeah. our politicians are concerned. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't want to go there. Let's not go there. Yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole at the moment. But so, so let's go back to the point you were just making now about young people, because I, that's sort of at least fantastic. What advice do you have for people who are coming out of universities at the moment or coming out of school, any sort of school? What what advice do you have for them as far as uh, where what they should be positioning themselves and and focusing on? Well, look, I, th- I certainly think it's it's important to follow your passions. I, I certainly, uh, I mean, I have a 16-year-old granddaughter who is um, seriously concerned with climate change and is studying in that area because she passionately believes that that's where the future lies. You know, I, it doesn't have to be in that area. It can be in design. It can be in innovation. Uh, it can be in technical. I mean, and, and, and also the other area, which Australia has always been extraordinarily strong, is in health and medical innovation. You know, you've only got to look at um, the fantastic work that um, CSIRO does. So, yeah, I I think follow your passion in whatever skills you have been able to obtain uh, or, sorry, obtain, yes, and your own individual skills, which, which basically you have been able to develop. Okay. Well, the, I think that's a, that's a, that's one, to be honest, that's one of the themes coming through all these interviews that uh, Steve and I have been doing is that passion piece and actually following it and uh, believing in yourself, really. What about leaders? Um, if we go up just a little bit of an in the age group, people who are leaders, um, and I lead, use that uh, distinctly from uh, managing management, what sort of leadership is required now? Because we've come forward a lot with the pandemic, things have changed uh, a lot more. What do you think is the requirement of leaders now in, in the current workforce and the current environment? I think as far as leadership is concerned, I mean, there's a basic tenet about is you lead by example. And mm. I just think that is just so important. So I think that, that would certainly be number one. And I think that leadership really does need to have vision, not just you know, there's the old story about um, when you're running a business, don't just uh, work uh, in the business, but try and have a broader vision about where you are ending. I think that's something which leadership needs to really consider quite strongly. And that's certainly true, I think. And you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about political issues again, but uh, I'm not talking about party political. 
And I, and I think the issue is that many of our leaders aren't seem to have a long-term vision. And I think that's, that's a very, very important thing to look at the, uh, look at the big scale rather than looking at the, uh, the minutiae. Right, yeah, I think that's, I agree with you. But what, what do you think is long-term these days, though, because that horizon seems to have shortened in with the, the things are changing so quickly now that the uh, long-term seems to be a shorter term these days? I think that's probably driven by, uh, by media to some extent. Uh, but if you look at long term and if you're, if you're talking specifically about Australia, mm. uh, I mean, we, you know, I, I was so lucky to come to Australia in, uh, in 1971. Yeah. And I think I'm still lucky to be living here because Australia has, apart from uh, our mineral resources, but we just have a huge amount of other resources including people resources and mental resources. And so I'm a great believer in this country. I think that's basically what I would say. Okay. So, so all right. That, that's very, very interesting. So if you, um, you're a serial entrepreneur, so uh, do you think, uh, what do you think is ahead for you at the moment? Do you think uh, you've got some other plans and things that you want to get involved in? Well, I'm involved in a um, in a charity. I'm a chair of a charity, yeah, okay. um, which is called the Link Centre Foundation. And basically, I was in, I, I became involved in that, and then took over as a chair last year. We basically fund schools who are who are dealing with disengaged youth, disengaged young people, yeah. And and that's a huge cohort of people within this country, and it's just a massive kind of lost potential for us apart from also an area where if you don't grab these people when they're young and we're talking about people who are coming from homes which are many occasions many instances are are, are severely dysfunctional and you know the youth justice system is clogged with people like that and so that's a very clear passionate area that I'm involved with at the moment. I'm lucky to have three other directors, one of whom is uh, very well connected and is providing through his connections uh, funding for our organisation. And uh, we're working with a school that's based in Preston at the moment who have 220 disengaged kids uh, within two campuses. So that's, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty. Uh, uh, that's pretty useful work. I think there's a lot of. Uh, I agree with you, a lot of wasted talent. There's a lot of kids end up in places they shouldn't be, and they're not necessarily. Uh, they, they've got a lot of capability. The system just doesn't cater for them in some ways, does it? Exactly right. And they need they need stronger teaching. You know, we're talking about a, a teacher pupil pupil ratio um, mm. in these areas of about five to one. Yes. Whereas a normal school is probably around about 25, 30 to 1. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, um, and the ancillary things. Uh, what else do I do? I'm also involved in a drug trial, which is uh, run by Eli Lilly. I've been doing that for five years, which is it's, it's trying to find uh, of this particular drug, whether in fact it has a, uh, a solution for Alzheimer's disease, mm. which again, looking at... Um, the ageing of the population, that's a pretty significant area which is going to cause um, a lot of health issues uh, in the future as the population ages. Yeah, dementia is uh, emerging as a big uh, issue, isn't it, uh, for an ageing population? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I sort of spent my time doing that and looking after investments, which is how I kind of – I always make sure I go to company meetings or Zoom meetings like this one so that I can learn about um, – what the company's all about, whether you can actually see the people who are running it, developing it into something successful. Mm. 
Cool. Well, that's been fascinating, Paul. Um, I'd just like to summarise quickly um, some of the things that I've heard you say today. One of them is, is about keeping learning, stay ahead of the game, keep learning new things. I think that's probably right, yes. And then another one is, um, is being positive about opportunities, see opportunities that are out there, take Absolutely. notice of them. Absolutely. Another one is take the initiative. Don't just sit around, uh, actually go for it. Uh, things that you're uh, able to see and follow your passion. Find out what you love and do it. Yep, I, I guess that's probably about right. I'd like to throw in one other thing at the last, last moment. In 1991, I kind of had my first laptop computer and I thought, what the heck's all this thing about? Worked out very quickly that it's uh, really a, um, a very efficient filing cabinet, but then you've got to put the information in. And so I sat down with, in, that, in those days, uh, some very young women and took a touch typing course. And, and that's something which has been very, very important to me throughout my whole career. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think that uh, constant learning and picking up skills through life uh, is a, a very important thing, isn't it, for positioning yourself and keeping yourself relevant, isn't it? Yep, there's no doubt about that. Okay, all right, good. Well, it's been great talking to you, and I hope been of some use to uh, whoever's listening to this. That's been fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks for your insight. Thanks very much, and, uh, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Okay, right up. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Humanize Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcast. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaphin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews for future guests.